Couples come to you with what they want, but your job, if you want to book more couples at higher prices at least, is to know how to trigger what they really need. They may not know it themselves, which is why you'll be a step ahead of everyone else if you learn how to identify what core motivation is driving the couple's decision. In this episode, you'll learn how to sell from the intersection of sales and psychology, nine core desires pushing consumer purchases, four most common triggers for couples, and how to incorporate all these into your marketing and sales efforts. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I've booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. Here's a fun fact about me that you might not know. And when you hear it, it'll probably make a ton of sense to you. Both of my parents were therapists. Now, I've been raised by more than just my biological mom and dad. I've had two stepdads. One was a lawyer, another was a photographer, and also my stepmom, who has background in media and PR. But the parents that I spend the most time with my dad, my mom, they were both therapists, problem solvers, personal problems, not business problems, though. My dad, very clinical, very practical. He worked for a big HMO, led teams, did one-on-one work with patients. My mom, spiritual. She was an empath. She did work for herself. She also worked one-on-one with clients, but she spent a lot of her time hosting retreats and doing group work with people who had gone through some sort of trauma in their life. And the first thing I can remember was wanting to be a shrink when I grew up. That's what I wanted. Like most kids, I think that you look at the models that you have, and, and I thought, you know what I want to do? I want to do what my parents do. That lasted for a pretty long time until I wanted to be Larry Bird without the mullet and the mustache. But then I stopped growing. At 15, my dream was over, capped at 5'11". So I had to find something else. And I realized that one of the things that I loved doing the most was puzzles. I used to do puzzles all the way up through high school, jigsaw puzzles, word puzzles, math problems, whatever it was, I loved doing these. And so I took that skill and I applied it to some extracurricular activities, some opportunities that I had through my high school. And I got really cool jobs doing things like interning out at Nike. And Nike was a big deal back in the 90s. I lived in Portland area. I used to go to Nike Town, downtown on the weekends. I'd ride the bus in for an hour each way just to hang out at Nike Town, walk around the different rooms. It was so cool. And then when I was a senior, I got to actually work at Nike. I loved solving problems. I loved working on marketing plans, big projects, campaigns. It was fun. So I ended up going to college to do management consulting because that was a natural fit for me. I didn't want to just get a degree in business. I wanted to get a degree in leading teams to solve problems for businesses. But that didn't work out. I ended up taking a year off from college. I went to restaurants, the Olive Garden, serving unlimited soups out and breadsticks and all the other crazy things that we all know that we secretly love from that blessed restaurant. And I worked there for a few years. I gave my shot at writing, traveling, editing, 
none of those things stuck. And I ended up going back to restaurants. A few years later, I got sucked into weddings. Now, as everyone who works closely with wedding clients knows, there's a lot of therapy that's involved with wedding planning. <laughs> you are part therapist. Whatever it is that you do, if, if you're working with clients, you got to deal with family dynamics. You got to deal with stresses, couples fighting over decisions that they're making. And so it challenged me. It, it, it brought together the dozen years that I had worked in restaurants with problem solving and psychology. It was perfect. And I love the selling more than the servicing. Servicing was fun for a couple years, but selling is what I really loved. Here's the irony though. I wasn't actually that good at it when I first got going. I thought that I could just rely on my natural talent. A little bit of luck, charisma, a little humor. But that only got me so far. Well, I realized that I actually had to get good at sales if I was going to succeed. Because this was different than unlimited soup salad and breadsticks. That was $6.95. A little bit more if you got the raspberry lemonade or the iced tea. But weddings, $10,000, $50,000. Big, big price tags. But also lots of people involved. Complex transactions. To get through that, to get better at it, I had to learn how human beings make decisions. Now, I've always been a big believer in learning how to do new things. After college, I was applying to graduate school because I want to get a PhD in medieval Spanish history. I know, crazy stuff. I'll tell you about that in a different episode. But to get into the PhD programs that I wanted to go into, you had to actually know Latin. Now, I didn't know Latin, so I had to teach myself Latin. I had to do it in six months. I taught myself three years worth of Latin to make myself proficient enough to pass the test. I did it, but I didn't get into the college. It didn't go the way that I was hoping. So I got back into restaurants. Now, up at this resort that I worked at, before I was in events, I was a bar manager. Eventually, I got promoted to restaurant manager at our fine dining restaurant. And that meant I had to learn about wine. Now, I didn't know anything about wine. So I sat down with two years worth of Wine Spectator magazines, and I read every single one of them front to back. Next year award-winning wine list, highly profitable wine list. When I moved into the hotel world, I immersed myself in the curriculum for Cornell School of Hospitality. That's where I learned about revenue management. Got my taste for pricing strategies. When I was trying to get better at these complex sales transactions, I had to go to experts and I had to read every single thing that I could. So back in the mid-2000s, I read through the literary canon for marketing and sales. Every important marketing and sales book I could get my hand on, I read. Just like I had gone through a lot of the curriculum at the Cornell School of Hospitality, when I was reading the Wine Spectator magazines, when I was teaching myself Latin, I did the same thing with marketing and sales. And the two books that really stood out were Influence and Spin Selling. They were like the gospels for salespeople like me. Now, fast forward a where I'm at right now, I've read dozens of books, hundreds of hours, maybe thousands of hours reading about pricing, sales, marketing. And I realized that it was great to have this list of books, but I actually wanted to formalize some of my self-education. So I enrolled in this behavioral economics program at Texas A&M. Now, it's not a formal degree, but it's a program where I get a certificate. I've got one more class that I've got to finish. 
It's been really cool. I've learned so much. Behavioral economics is the intersection of business and psychology. It focuses on how people make irrational decisions with parts of their brains they're not even aware of. Usually the illogical parts of their brains. Because the brain can only do so much processing before it runs out of energy or the ability to do tons of things at once. The brain creates these shortcuts called biases. And these biases, they don't make sense because they're not rational or logical, but they don't make sense in a predictable way. That's what I study. The strange ways that people make decisions, especially in sales and marketing and pricing situations. So in this behavioral economics program through Texas A&M, I took a course by a guy named Will Leach. And it was called Marketing to Mind States. He has a master class that you can do. It's under $500, I think. And you can also buy his book, which is under like 20 bucks. Marketing to Mind States. It was the best course that I've taken out of the five that I've done so far. Because it really dug into the psychology of how to motivate people to make a decision to buy your services. Now, one of the topics we covered was motivational psychology. Specifically, what are the core motivations that drive human behavior? Now, I'm not talking about the surface level wants, but the deeper seated needs. Not the things on the surface that they tell you that they want. Planning a wedding, photographs to look back on, beautiful floral arrangement, an invitation to send to their friends and family. Those are the surface level wants. I'm talking about these higher order needs. These needs that are are, are deeply rooted in their emotions. And they may not be able to articulate or explain it, but they certainly influence more than anything else the decisions that they're making, both in life and what they're buying. And we discuss nine core desires that humans tend to gravitate towards. Here they are. Autonomy, achievement, belonging, competence, esteem, engagement, empowerment, nurturance, and security. These are the nine core psychological drivers behind decisions that humans are making and specifically related to the purchases that they make. And each person will exhibit two to three primary motivators when making these decisions. And here's the thing. When you know what motivates your ideal client, you can create messages that trigger these desires and make your services more appealing to them. When you know what motivates the person who's making the decision, you create messages that trigger those desires. And I'm not talking about somebody to plan the wedding or somebody to give you photographs or somebody to give you a wedding film or an invitation suite or whatever it may be. I'm talking about something deeper seated. Now, in the wedding world, I find that most couples are driven by three to four of these big desires. I mean, like security, that's important. And that may drive a decision for something like insurance or the type of mortgage that you would take, whether it's a fixed or an adjustable rate mortgage, whatever it may be, that kind of thing would drive those decisions. Competence, it's a, wanting to develop a skill, mastery of a task or, or skill set. And those, those aren't really things that are going to drive decision-making purchases for the, the couples in the wedding world. But there are four big desires. Now, this is based on 15 years of 
selling and coaching in the wedding industry, as well as the qualitative research that we've done. As a company, we go through and we do brand communication strategies for our clients, sales coaching clients, but all of our website copywriting clients. And we reach out directly to couples who have booked our client services and we interview them through email. This is called qualitative research. And over these hundreds of responses that we've gotten, plus my own direct work selling to couples, I've narrowed down the list of nine to a list of four that I see over and over again. And that's what I want to talk about for the rest of this episode. Here's what we found is that the four that wedding couples tend to be driven by are either autonomy, engagement, esteem, or belonging. These are the big motivators. Now, I'm going to dig in a little bit to what each one of these breaks down to, and then also how they play out in the desires for the wedding. So let's start with autonomy. So autonomy is the desire to be independent, to, to be free, to choose your own way, what you want to do, when you want to do it, who you want to do it with, how you want to do it, autonomy. Engagement is about indulging in life's pleasures. We want to interact, touch, taste, feel, hear, see, all the things in life that are fun. Esteem is about recognition, about being recognized by others. Typically people that you want admiration from. And then the last one, belonging. Belonging is about connecting with other people, forming meaningful relationships. So these are the four different psychological triggers that I see in couples who are getting married. And that's what you need to pay attention to. Which one or two of these are the primary drivers for the decisions that are being made by the people who want your services? So let's talk about how each one of these plays out. How can you identify what it is that is driving the individual or the couples that are making the decision for your services? So autonomy, right, is independence. It's doing things your own way the freedom to make the choice that you want. And what does that look like in the wedding world? Doing something unique, one of a kind, something that hasn't been done before. It could be an elopement, right? A non-traditional wedding. It could be the decor. It could be the kind of band, whatever it is. It could be something, but it's going to be driven by this desire to do things the way that you want to do them. The second one, engagement, I see this one a ton. This is about celebrating life's pleasures, about in, indulging in the world around you, right? So these are, these are people who are driven to food, drink, dancing. That's what they really look forward to, experiences, not decor. And they also want to spend time with their friends and family. And so oftentimes these are multi-day celebrations or destination events. That's what this looks like this motivation. Now, the third one is steam. I talked about it being recognition from others, admiration even. So people who are driven by esteem in the wedding world are trying to find some way to impress their friends. And it could be the friends and family that are at the event with these big wow statement pieces, usually doing with floral or design. Or it could be going to a really amazing venue that they get to brag about. They want to share photos on social media with their friends and family who didn't get to attend the event or maybe other weddings that they've attended 
There's a little bit of competition here. They want others to look at them and go, wow, that's cool. Now, the fourth one is belonging. I see this one a ton. Belonging in the wedding industry for your couples looks like trying to create meaningful experiences and connection points with the people that they care about the most at the event. So some sort of tradition could be honored. It's really about families coming together. Heirlooms could be passed down. They may want the opportunity to form connections with people that they haven't seen for a little while, especially coming out of the pandemic. They want to be gracious hosts. They want people to feel like they're welcome at their party. So that's a little bit about how each one of those plays out when people are looking to buy your wedding services. Now, if you're a photographer, engagement could mean letting them be with their friends and family during the cocktail hour rather than out and about on the property getting those to die for images, right? So somebody who's motivated by engagement would rather be at the cocktail hour than get that amazing shot that you know you could get at sunset, but they're like, I don't want to be pulled away from the party. All right, that's how engagement shows its way through. I remember when I was working at Roche Harbor and these couples would head off the property to get photos around the island, sometimes after they had done the ceremony and before the dancing had started. And looking back, that could have been because they wanted those wow images that others would see on social media and feel envy or at least get recognition for. All those likes and comments, those are hard to ignore if you are driven by esteem. Doing it for the gram is all about recognition. That gives them the little hit of dopamine that they're looking for. So if you're a photographer, you need to find out, is this couple interested in being with their friends and family, engaging in the celebration, or are they interested in getting the amazing photos that they can share on social media to make people admire them and what they've done? If you're a planner, belonging could play out in making enough time for meaningful experiences during the wedding weekend. That's really important to them. You're going to have to bake that into what you're selling. If you're a stationer, autonomy could play out with never-before-seen material being used for the invitation, day of paper goods, done in a way that nobody's seen before. That's what autonomy looks like. Floor designer, esteem could be that wow installation in the ceiling above the dance floor, those upside-down tulips, those phalos in the bridal bouquet. So what trends in the people that you work with do you see? What are the the motivations that you see over and over and over again. Which one of those? Autonomy, belonging, esteem, engagement. Most people are going to have one or two. And then, of course, you got two people who are getting married. But I think that what you'll find is that you probably prefer to work with couples who are motivated by a certain trigger. So not only do they have a trigger, but you also find it easier and more enjoyable to work with couples who have that particular type of trigger. Chances are, I'll save you some some thinking about this, you have the same ones that your favorite clients do. Now, when you know your ideal client's triggers, you can do all sorts of things with it. You know what images to feature on social media or on your website. You know what messages to communicate throughout the sales process. You know what topics to cover in your website copy. You know what questions to ask on the discovery call. You know what competitive advantages to mention in your proposal for your services with your pricing and your packages and so much more. When you know what your ideal client 
wants more than anything else, you communicate to that to them over and over and over again at every step in the buyer's journey. Those become your pillars of communication. The key to charging more is to create value. To create value, you have to do more for your clients. To get the chance to do more, they have to want more from you. So to get that to happen, you have to know what motivates your best buyers deep down inside. What do they want more of? Esteem, engagement, belonging, autonomy. This is what they want from you. They don't want photos. They don't want invitations. They don't want floral designs. That's the surface level want. What they really need from you is something different that's going to trigger that psychological motivation. This is the what that they need from you. Now, next week, y'all are in for a real treat. Katie's going to be joining me on the podcast because we're going to discuss how to communicate that psychological want, that trigger, in a way that's easy for your ideal clients to connect with and to process. Every person has a communication preference. And Katie's going to join me to share how that's shown and laid out on your website. Now, if you're interested in learning more about how we build psychological triggers into brand communication strategies for our clients, please reach out. Click the show notes. Hit me up, sam at ideactionconsulting.com. We use it in all of our website copywriting, and we also use it in some of our coaching clients. It's very, very powerful and will ultimately be one of the important ways that you can set yourself apart from the other people who are competing over the same couples that you are. Because when you can trigger that desire and build more value, that's when you're going to be able to convert easily and also do it at higher prices. Boom. That's it for this episode on Own Your Business. If you've heard me on a stage or a workshop or someone else's podcast, you know I have a hard time keeping it short, but I know you're busy. So thanks for spending time with me today. You have a ton of options for guides when it comes to getting you to where you want to go. I hope you found someone you can continue to trust. If you have a friend who could use practical strategies to own their business, please share this episode with them. If you can't think of anyone in particular, we'd settle for a quick review on whatever podcast platform you listen through. 